0: When when you're selling something off the plan, you're essentially, uh, the way I see it, is that as the sales agent, you're making a commitment to that purchaser that you're going to see them throughout the whole process. And I always say to my clients, when this is built, I will be in that property with you doing the pre-settlement inspection and you'll have a smile on your face because it will be exactly how I've described here.
1: You are listening to the Property Developer Podcast, your home for tips, ideas, and inspiration
0: to help take your developing to the next level. Now, here's your host, Justin Getty.
1: Hello, and welcome to episode 62 of the show. Thanks for joining me. How are you doing? How are your projects progressing? All on track? I'm well. Been a little while between episodes again, so it's great to be back with you. At the time of recording this, it's approaching the end of the year, so I've been winding down and reflecting on the year that's been. And from a property development perspective, it's been pretty challenging for me, but I'm hopeful that next year we'll see more activity in action. On the project front, we finally received a notice of decision from council on our project, and they intend to grant us a permit, providing nobody objects to the planning tribunal. So I've got my fingers crossed for the next few weeks until I get that stamped letter. It's been another two year battle to get to this point so I'm looking forward to moving to the next stage of the project. On our other project, we have a couple of further sales, although we did have one that fell over during the cooling off period which was a bit frustrating, but that's how it goes sometimes. My main challenge on that project is getting construction started so we can move things along and get it closer to being wrapped up. And speaking of planning, my wife has had the pleasure of experiencing the planning system over the past few months. And she looks to relocate her small business to another space. And what a journey she's been on. She was initially advised by council planners that she could apply through the VicSmart system, which supposedly fast-tracks applications in 10 business days and is much cheaper. So she did that and paid her 900 bucks, only to then be told by council that she actually needed to go through a full planning application, which meant paying $3,000 and going through a public notice process and all the associated costs with going down that path. And this would likely take two to three months. Which started pushing up against her lease, ending at her original office. Of course she faced the challenge of dealing with vague planning officers who are difficult to get straight answers from and delays while paperwork is processed. She couldn't believe that simply moving into a new space would trigger the need for a planning permit. Anyway, she went to public notice which lasted 28 days and had to pay for the privilege of notifying all the neighbouring properties. Toward the end of the notice period, she only had one objection, but this meant that council could only issue a notice of decision, which would mean another 28 day delay while council waited to see if anyone objected to the planning tribunal. So this adds another five to six week delay to the application, unless we could get the objector to withdraw the application or their objection. So we duly got in touch with the objector and successfully managed to get them to withdraw their objection. My wife thought this would mean a fast tracking of her permit being issued. But when she contacted the planning officer in charge, he said he had so many other files to work on before getting to hers. So I suggested she contact the director of planning at the council and explain her situation and see if there was anything that could be done to help. As it had been many months now since my wife had first contacted council and had received differing advice along the way. The director turned out to be quite helpful and said he would look into it. And then funnily enough, the next day my wife gets a call from the planning officer who's been handling her application saying he'd reviewed her file and it turns out that due to my wife's business being classified as medical and being smaller than 250 square metres, the business didn't actually require a permit at all. They were very sorry for the delay and would duly refund her application fees. My wife was gobsmacked, but very relieved that the whole debacle is over. So much for the planning department being the so-called experts on the planning scheme in the area, hey? Just another case of people having their time, money, money and energy wasted through a planning process. And I said, welcome to my life. Okay, don't forget, if you are interested in learning how to develop property, then email me about the Property Developing Mentoring Program that is available to help you get started. There's nothing like a helping hand to show you the right way when you're starting out. So email Justin at propertydeveloperpodcast.com and I'll send you some further information. My guest today is a project salesperson from the same group as previous guest, John Maher. So if you missed episode 60 where we talked about selling and marketing projects, make sure you go back and listen to that because there is lots of gold that you will love. Campbell Royston works at 360 Property Group helping to sell some of Melbourne's best projects. And we discuss what the secrets are to successfully selling property off the plan. We talk about the power of tailoring your sales campaign and ensuring you are targeting the right buyers, as well as a range of other issues about selling property. I'm sure you will enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Keep an ear out for the question Campbell frequently asks to clarify people's intention. I started off by asking Campbell what food he would eat until he was sick. Oh, that's, um,
0: that's a tough one. I'm definitely, definitely more a savoury person. Um, probably some form of Italian food. Can always go a big bowl of pasta. Typically do eat too much as well <laughs> of the pasta when it's in front of me. So maybe, maybe just a typical spaghetti bolognese or something like that.
1: Oh, just a simple bolognese. Yeah, I yeah. think there's nothing better. Yeah, do you make, make your, your own? Food.
0: I do. I feel like everyone with bolognese has their own their own version, and everyone thinks that their own version is the best. Um, so I, you know, I subscribe to that as well. I think mine's pretty good, but yeah, I, I love it.
1: You got a got a secret ingredient you're prepared to share with us? Because I've got also got a spaghetti sauce recipe that I think is. It's pretty damn good. Yeah.
0: Look, I'm not, I won't give away my my special ingredient, but I can tell you um, my father's version because he loves loves cooking it as well. His is a lot of um, lean parents Worcestershire sauce. Oh yeah. Yeah. So saltiness. which makes it yeah quite salty and quite rich. So ah,
1: yeah. And you've, I'm assuming you've taken and built upon that, or have you dulled it back a bit? I think I've dulled it back
0: a bit. Yeah. Mine's more. I don't know. Lots of fresh basil, olives, a bit of bacon in there, as well as you know the veal, the beef mince,
1: Mm -hmm. and a couple of other things. Now I'm getting hungry. Now I'm getting hungry (laughs) for dinner. (laughs) Well, speaking of secret sauce, we're here Mm -hmm. today to talk about project marketing. Yes, and hopefully you can share or reveal some of the secret sources that you use to get projects solved. Yeah. So. And before we get to that, can you just give us a bit of a background about yourself, how you got into property marketing or, and property in general? Sure. So, um, I guess I've, I've always had
0: a bit of a, a weird fascination with property. Um, you know, when I was 12 years old, I would attend open, open homes by myself around the area that I lived. Um, and would you know collect agency brochures as I walked past. I could look at all the houses. Don't quite, quite know why I did that, um, but it's just something that always interested me. And then towards the end of my schooling, um, thought that that could be a good career path for me. Uh, at that stage, my mum was in property as well. So I went and studied a Bachelor of Property in Real Estate at uni. And then I decided, once I'd done that, that I didn't want to be in property anymore <laughs> and thought maybe I want to do interior design. So... Um, and why was that? How can you... So... What turned I, you off? I think the, the studying part of it turned me off. <laughs> so um, it took away... What I love about property is is the the relationships with people. So doing a property degree essentially took away, you know, what I do every day, you know, and dealing with people took that out of it and made it a a lot more methodical. Um, So then I really wanted something a little bit more creative or a bit more out there. So that's sort of led me into interior design, which I've always had great appreciation for architecture and design as well uh, so did that at rmit um worked within the the design field for probably two years after i would graduated and then um realized that there's um not a huge amount of money in <laughs> uh interior design unless you're at the very top and you've been working for a very long time um so i decided maybe i needed to look back at uh at property as another option um and decided to do that and yeah i haven't really looked looked back so now i'm coming up probably on six years that i've been selling off the
1: plan um so what did you yeah. make the jump from interior design to selling established properties? Or, yeah, is it, no. Is a so, standard real estate agent or no, project so, marketing?
0: I, um, I worked for a very small uh, agency in Turak, and their core business was property investment advisory. So essentially doing channel sales for projects. So I went straight into selling off the plan, um, which that appealed to me more so than traditional real estate um because obviously with with off the plan particularly with the projects that i represent we're dealing with the best architects the best interior designers um you know in australia um if not in the world um when we've got some international architects on, on some projects we've got coming up next year so I much prefer you know, dealing with this beautiful product rather than, you know, Mr and Mrs. Jones' house down the corner that is, you know, is a bit tired and they've got the cats running around the house and the furniture is, is not looking great. Um, much prefer working in these beautifully styled, curated um, display suites and selling really beautiful buildings and product.
1: Um, and you mentioned channels. What- Talk us a bit, talk us through a little bit more about what that actually means, selling through channels. So essentially, um, so what what I'm
0: doing now is project sales and marketing, and I would refer to myself as a retail agent. So I'm engaged by our vendor, who's the developer, to sell out um, an entire building or entire project, whatever it may be, on some projects, I may choose to engage um, channel agents so there are other other agents that can come and will give them access so that they can sell a couple of of properties within that project. Um, And typically the channel agents are working with a smaller group of clients, but they'll have a lot of repeat clients and a lot of uh, relationship-based clientele. Um, and that was definitely when I started in 2014, um, the investment side of thing was still very strong. Um, so, you know, we would, I had clients that, you know, sold three, three investment properties to, um, you know, over, over a period of time. So. It's just, you don't, as a channel agent, you're not looking after an entire project, but you can typically gain access to a lot of projects out there on the market. And then from there, where did you jump into? Uh, So from there, I went and worked uh, with another agency in South Melbourne. Um, And then shortly after, I was approached um, by my mother, who I mentioned is in property, when she was expanding her company. Um, So she asked me to come on board and um, continue to do channel sales, um, but then, and also to help her do, she's got a traditional arm to her business as well, so to do a little bit of traditional real estate, but then to um, set up and develop a property management arm to her business. So I agreed to do that. Um, and was with her for probably about three and a half years um, and established her whole property management arm, had got staff working there, built up that rent role, um, as well as completing my own sales. And then towards the end, we also had some boutique projects that we were marketing as well. Yeah. What's that like, working with your mum? Um, well, I don't some work robust, with her anymore. Yeah, i <laughs> hope the time
1: some <laughs> robust family discussions
0: were... Um, look, it was actually, it, it was great. Um, we get along very well and we still do. Um, I've got a lot of respect for her. She's been in the industry for, you know, over 25 years and has had some great success. Um, it, it just got to a point for me where all we would do is talk about work all the time. So I just decided I needed to take a step back um, so I could get that familial Um, relationship back with my mum and you know stop boring my brother at family dinners um, with us just talking about work all the time Um, and that's when I made the move to 360 uh, where I've been here now for you know just over a year and
1: a half and I think yeah it's been a good move so it's been a pretty challenging 18 months in the off-the-plan off selling market yes. in that time. What have you learnt along the way or what sort of stands out when you cast your mind back over that first 18 months here? Um, look, it's, there's no doubt that it has been, uh,
0: it's probably been the worst market since I've been in this industry that we've had. Um, I've been lucky enough that, you know, working with, Um, working with John is very selective in the projects that we take on Um, so I've I've been very lucky to work on some really good projects during that time so I've been able to continue to sell Um, it's just meant that I think as sales agents we almost have had to wake up and actually start doing our jobs again and selling not that I, I don't think I was ever asleep but I think that's when we saw a lot of agents exit the market and leave real estate entirely, because um, there was a lot of people out there that were more so you know, tour guides showing people around, rather than actually trying to negotiate and facilitate a sale. So I think it's just given everyone a big poke up the backside and it's got everyone working
1: hard again. Yeah, I think someone described it as being order takers. Yes, when the market was hot. Yes, That's basically what you were doing is exactly. just writing down, <laughs> filling out the contracts, filling
0: out contracts. Yeah. Um, whereas now every single deal, um, certainly that I that I do and that I transact, um, there's a lot of work that goes on in the background to make that happen. Yeah. So what is that kind of what is that work that you've got to do in the background to get a deal across the line now? Um, I mean, it depends on on the product that you're selling. Um, so it depends on the, the buyer demo. So you know whether they're if they're first time buyers, um, there's you you as the agent want to um, allocate a lot more time to education with the client, um, and you know if, introducing them to mortgage brokers or introducing them to to solicitors so that they can actually understand the whole process, how it works, how much they can borrow, because a lot of the time, they don't necessarily even know what they can borrow. When they're already looking at property, they get a little bit swept up in it. Um, You know, With downsizers, who are typically my client demo for the stock that I sell, because I'm typically selling products that have one to three million dollars, there's a lot of time spent um, with customisation of floor plans. That's become really important. I'd say, even over the past two years, um, the purchasers have become a lot more savvy in terms of their expectations. And you know, to be able to create not only a floor plan, but aesthetically with fixtures and finishes, something that's going to suit the client down to the T, um, is obviously another huge benefit of, of off the plan that you're not going to get in traditional real estate. Um, but it definitely does add up a lot more hours of work um, to move them from that process of, of them submitting
1: an inquiry to getting it through to actually signing a contract. So can you give me an example of the customisation, something that people will be asking for now that maybe they yeah. didn't ask for two years ago? So... Um, We've had a lot
0: of uh, a lot of clients seeking larger apartments. So that doesn't necessarily mean that people are wanting three bedrooms. Um, we've had a lot of people wanting, or a lot of downsizers, wanting really large two bedrooms. So, in some projects where that design wasn't considered initially, um, we're able to customise floor plans take a three-bedroom, get rid of one of the bedrooms, make a larger living space. So we're seeing two bedrooms, sort of 100 to 130 square metres of living sell really well to that market. Um, and, you know, or it may be that, like, we've got a project uh, in Elsinwick recently where we had one client um, purchase the entire level of apartments, which was three really large apartments to begin with, and completely customise their own, um, you know, I guess it would be a penthouse now. um, With their club. Yeah, (laughs) with their master master suite, um, being about 80 or 90 square metres, just the master suite. So I think the benefits of, you know, apartment or townhouse living, Um, with no maintenance, sort of lock-up and leave is very attractive, um, obviously, to people in their, you know, early 50s and older. Um, And that's something that we can achieve for them, um, especially when they're not wanting to compromise on, on space or design or comfort. We can sort of try and marry the two together to get them something that they're happy with.
1: And so are they inquiring with a, with a view to then customising a floor plan? No. Yeah. So that's a journey that, that we would take them
0: on. Um, so there's a bit of hand-holding involved in that. Um, but also it's just about as salespeople thinking outside of the box and it's like, okay, none of these, none of these pro- products suit this client. Can we make something suit them? You know, so you've just got to you've got to be a little bit more on it, and and constantly thinking of what you can do to actually get that sale across the line.
1: And so, I'm presuming the lead time is a lot longer now in terms of from inquiry to yeah, so sealing the deal. Typically, people who
0: purchase off the plan um, from initial inquiry um, doesn't necessarily mean it's on your project; maybe on another project to actually securing something is about six months now so um that statistic is from domain and also uh they found that 80 percent of people that are looking at off the plan are also um directly comparing it to established property so gone are the days when you know if someone was looking at off the plan they were only looking at like for like offerings now people are much more willing to look at everything and get a much better understanding of everything that's available in the market
1: and then make a more informed decision. And what do you reckon is tipping them into an off-the-plan yeah. sale?
0: Um, so, again, I think it's it's different for different buy types. For downsizers, um, timing is, is definitely a benefit that they can... Um, you know, go through this whole process and secure something now, and then they've got time to actually think about what they're going to do with their house, you know, that they're going to have to clean out the four-bedroom house to move into an apartment. They're not rushed. Um, so that two-year lead time um, can actually be a real, a real selling tool for some people. Um, obviously stamp duty as well, especially when we're looking at, um, you know, property over a million dollars, um, you the, the stamp duty saving that um, an owner-occupier can still enjoy is quite significant. Uh, and then for 1st home buyers, um, with uh, Off the Plan, they're still eligible for a first-time owner's grant and then they can also secure um, something at a much higher purchase price and still benefit from $0 stamp duty because the dutable value will still be under that, that threshold. Even if the purchase price is a million dollars, yeah, yeah, that is one of the good benefits of yeah. the plan. And they're getting something brand new as well. They know that they're not inheriting any problems. You know, I've I had a client uh, purchase, uh, well, a friend purchase a Victorian terrace recently in Richmond, and they've just found out that they have to have put a whole new roof. You know, it's just going to cost them twenty, thirty thousand dollars to do. So you know that you're not gonna have any surprises down the track.
1: Well, you hope not. (laughs) There have been a few issues with some apartment developments or particularly in Sydney, but is that something that's weighing on people's minds when they're coming and talking
0: to you? Yeah, look, definitely with the way that it's been portrayed in in the media. um, I mean, the reality is that Victoria has um, very different building regulations to New South Wales. So again, that's as part of the education process. Um, further with, you know, the the hot topic of cladding, um, that's actually to our benefit now because before a building can receive its certificate of occupancy, it's now independently inspected by a government surveyor um, to ensure that there's no flammable cladding used. Um, so. That, yeah, that works in, in our benefit now. So we can say don't look at something that's five years old because you don't know what you're buying, but if you buy something off the plan or that hasn't been completed yet, you know
1: that you'll have no issues. Yeah, I think that'll wash through the market fairly quickly and hopefully bring some confidence back to people. Mm. Um, I'd like to talk to you about how you go about um, planning a campaign. I know when I spoke to John he was talking about segmenting to succeed yes uh, can you take us through favorite phrase yeah can you take us through your thoughts when you're sitting down and working on a campaign and uh, absolute things you must do things you avoid or just talk us through that um,
0: look whenever we're looking at, at launching a, a project um, if we can uh, we like to be involved Um, very early on typically in the design phase of the project so we can advise the clients in in which way to move from that side of things because realistically it's easier sort of to reverse engineer a product which will inform the marketing um, rather than designing um, you know designing a product and then thinking how are we going to sell this so if we can look at the location and look at you know what type of figures we're trying to achieve on on a project, we can then discover who our buyer is to achieve those figures, and then we can look at um, what product that buyer is actually desiring at the moment, and then look at the design rather than go the traditional route of designing product and trying to sell it. So, if if we have the luxury of being able to do that, um, the marketing. Uh, campaign can be a lot more straightforward because um, we can actually target uh, you know that client type or that client demo, um, you know, to make them aware of of the project that we're selling.
1: And if you've just got something that is that's been designed and yes. is ready to go.
0: Um, I mean, it's just about making making the the product. You know as attractive as it can be within the market but again you really need to know who you're trying to sell to because um, ultimately you know you can spend huge amounts on advertising we see developers do this that you know we're not involved with they're spending these huge huge amounts um, you know on marketing and not really having any success um, Whereas sometimes you can look at a lower spend, but if it's actually targeted at the right people or at the right market, you're going to you're going to get a lot more bang for your buck in terms of results.
1: Is that using Facebook and Insta? Are they the sort of when you talk about direct advertising? Are they more the channels that you would go to for that?
0: Um, look again, it can be a variety of of different avenues. So um, you know, we even find that direct mail can work very well. Um, still uh definitely social media advertising has evolved greatly over the past couple of years and for certain buyer types um, that can be a very effective and cost effective um, form of marketing and advertising a
1: project uh, so, and so what are your kind of have you got three or four go-tos or is it a case-by-case basis or what are the tactics that you've love to use
0: look everything everything that we do is tailored to our client at the time so we're not a you know we do do obviously a huge volume of sales every year but we can only achieve that because we are spending that extra time to tailor make a solution to each and every client Um, you know we're not like a traditional real estate agent who will say, you know, for this type of property, we do X, Y, and Z, and this is how much it's going to cost you. Um, I consider that's almost a bit lazy in just putting somebody through a machine. Um, what do they call it? Spray and pray? Exactly. So we would we would rather, um, you know, tailor make something uh, for, the, for the product and for the client that's going to be cost effective and is going to make you know, our life as a salesperson easier because we're going to get qualified leads and we're not wasting our time, you know, calling the wrong type of people for that particular
1: project. Yeah. So when you've mentioned direct mail, Mm -hmm. where are you getting those details of these people from? Are they on a database or...?
0: Yeah, so there's a variety of places. Um, We're very lucky here that we we do have a huge database of, of purchases. Um, obviously, after you know, considering this company's been around for eleven years now, and the sheer number of properties that we've sold here, um, we do have a huge database there. And then there are also some, you know, other methods of of marketing to those buyer types.
1: Yeah, you guys do some pretty good launches for projects. I think you've done some recently, haven't you? One of the kind of things you like to do at a launch.
0: Um, Look, I think it's, again, it's definitely a case-by-case basis, Uh, so, for instance, one of the launches that I um, headed up this year was the launch of the Mooney Valley Race Course redevelopment, um, which I'm currently selling the first stage of, so that's a $2 billion multi-stage project, um, and the first stage are our premium townhouses. So because that's such an iconic and significant site for the area, we thought it was uh, very important to have community engagement. Uh, so our, our launch was very much geared towards involving the community and educating them exactly what was happening there. Um, and that's proven to be you know, quite a successful project this year.
1: So is that a case of inviting a whole stack of people from a postcode along to a bit of an open day?
0: Yes, I mean, at
1: that particular launch, we
0: probably had about 300 people through on the day, um, which are huge numbers, especially for for this type of um, market that we've had. Um, And, you know, on the day, we had a whole variety of, um, you know, activities for children. We had people out there so that they could make their own terrariums um we had um, you know good quality catering is always good um, and always attracts people and then really it's just about building up the anticipation of of you know what it will be and just not just not shooting your shot too quickly and you know divulging too much information and keeping a bit of a a sense of mystery about it until you can drive those people, you know, into a launch.
1: And you mentioned the sort of longer lead times. Is that having an impact on projects getting out of the ground and getting finished?
0: Um, look, again, it's different for every project because um, it all depends on the financing structure uh, of that development. So for instance with the Mooney Valley project um, the development's actually a joint venture uh, with Host Plus superannuation so with that we haven't been reliant on selling a particular amount before we can actually commence construction which has been fantastic and obviously mitigates any risk of you know is this going to happen or not Um, but it it is just essentially I, I haven't seen you know, two, two developments with the same financing structure, so it's different for every, every project.
1: Yeah, and you, you mentioned the market seems to be turning, well, it certainly has turned here in Melbourne in 2019. Yeah. Just in terms of percentages, can you give us an idea of improvement from, say, yeah.
0: this time last year? So, well, I can tell you in the last quarter in Melbourne, we've had a 6.4% increase in median house price. So I would say that um, right now we're in a strong market, I think we're not in a hot market uh, but definitely a strong market. The foundation for, uh, for further price increases is definitely there as well with um, you know, population growth being one of the, the major driving factors. Um, obviously because that's increase of um, demand for housing. And then also what I think a lot of people don't realise is that we're going to have a shortage of properties moving forward um, because the dwellings coming to market, the new construction has slowed down so much, um, primarily because of a a lot of... um, New legislation and regulation from the government, um, which you know they, I think in the hot market they were trying to put the brakes on that a little bit, and then it's almost halted um, halted construction. So in the city this year, there was only one new project released. So I mean, you look around the city now, you'll see a lot of cranes, but in 2019 with one project being released when that's actually starts construction the others have settled you'll see one crane you know in a couple of years time there'll only be one crane building that one building so and when we've got hundreds of thousands of people moving to this city um, and the way people are living is is so different and is constantly evolving now where people don't don't want to live far away from the city, or they, you know, they're wanting to live in a city fringe, um, and they don't necessarily need a house, and forego the house to live in a location that offers a lot more than you know, some of these housing estates or what have you, you know, far from the city do. So there will be huge demand, and we've seen that also with rental prices as well. Rental prices are huge now in so many areas in the inner city of Melbourne. It's actually cheaper to purchase a property if you've got a deposit than it is to rent. Um, also with
1: yeah, money being so cheap at the moment. Yeah, those are some of the messages that we've been putting out to our prospects Ooh. as well. But, there still seems to be some hesitation in the market about committing, certainly to off the plan, when it's where I'm marketing and selling. Yeah, and it's, it just seems pretty obvious that the prices are going to go up because mm-hmm. we've got all these people moving in, and there's limited supply coming through. You sort of don't have to be a genius to figure out that's going to have an impact on prices at some point.
0: Yeah, precisely. But I mean. <sighs> I just think some people will always just be a little bit too gun shy, um, you know, to to take the plunge. Uh, Definitely when the market had had bottomed out, um, you know, probably at the very beginning of this year, sort of the end of last year, um, you know, I was speaking to people and they're going, oh, the market's going to go down another 30%, we're going to wait, you know, another six months, blah, blah, blah. Can't say anything to them, that's fine. Great, I'll speak to you in six months time then, touching base with them. Obviously the market's recovered, it's picked up and they're going, Oh, why didn't we buy then? Yeah. You know, there were so many good deals to be had but everyone was so scared of what could happen. I think the the risk of not being in the property market in Melbourne, it is much greater than than the risk of um
1: risk of being in it. Yeah, I think these uh, ideas of 20 and 30% falls across the board were somewhat fanciful. Mm. So, I think, I mean... If that happens, there's something massive going on in the economy which is not going to be good for everybody. Exactly. So, and I think people forget that. Mm. It's like if that market's dropping by 20 to 30%, there's something very, very bad going on with the broader economy and it's going to affect absolutely everybody. Yeah. You won't but be I able think...
0: to buy property because you won't have a job. Exactly. But I think, I mean, we've seen... Um, We've seen corrections in areas that were overpriced to begin with, um, but now we've definitely seen some it all sort of level out and become a lot more stable in the pricing. So I think we're we're very much we're pretty much true to price at the moment um, in terms of market value. So I think now is obviously a good time to buy, um, particularly if you're looking at off the plan because you can secure something at at today's price that you know isn't going to settle for a couple of years so you know you can never guarantee anything no one has a crystal ball but with the way that the markets moving at the moment um, you could look at having some type of upswing by the time that you settle yeah and I think
1: that's become believable Ooh. for people now whereas last year they probably no. just yeah. refused to believe that <laughs> even though you knew the market would turn yeah. at some stage, but it's yeah. just a hard sell. Whereas now, you can say that and people nod their heads and go, yeah, yeah you're probably right. Yeah. So that makes things easier. Um, wh- what should developers be thinking about when they're marketing their projects? What-, what makes it easier for you as a marketer and salesperson?
0: I think just getting, getting your salespeople involved in, in the design process. Um, So I know that uh, John and I have just been working on on shuffling around floor plans and sort of redesigning. The architects probably hate us for doing this but we just know that when we eventually launch that project you know, this is probably looking the middle of next year and we're already sort of involved, um, it's going to be a much more saleable product. um, Because at the end of the day the architects and the designers—they're not—they're not the consumer. Um, no one knows the buyer better than us, the salespeople, because we're out there every day talking to buyers um, and you know getting an idea of exactly what it is that they want. So if we can translate that knowledge into a future project, um, it just cuts out one more hurdle of us trying to overcome when we're actually presenting presenting the finalised
1: product. I wanted to ask, how many phone calls do you reckon you make in a, in a year or in a in week?
0: A, so my math isn't that great. That definitely wasn't a strong <laughs> suit. I could probably tell you per day. Yeah, per day. Um, it would be somewhere between sort of 30 and 50 a day. That might even be a bit light on, but... Um, definitely have got my money's worth out of my airpods <laughs> they're typically attached yeah to my head most hours of the day
1: yeah, I'm sure there's probably uh, real estate agents out there that their AirPods are actually starting to Fusing. fuse with yeah. their earlobes yeah no I
0: need to sometimes I need to remember to take them out when I'm actually going <laughs> to an appointment you feel
1: naked when you take them off yeah now. <laughs> And is there anything else that developers can do to make your job a bit easier?
0: Uh oh, have, um, have a good budget <laughs> for advertising. I think, I mean, obviously, again... Well, what it should d- they
1: think about in terms of having a good... I mean, what does a good budget mean? Exactly. Well, it all comes back to what, what we're
0: selling. So, um, like I met with the developer recently who was doing quite a small project of I think 15 apartments um, in sort of the middle ring suburbs um, and our advice to them was not to spend money on doing a display suite um, but rather they had completed a building a couple of streets over about a year ago said invest your money in refitting one of the apartments from your other building and use that as your display. So that's going to be a lot more cost effective for them and that will allow us to reallocate that money into doing, you know, a really good quality brochure or getting really good quality renders made um, to make everything just seem a little bit more premium and thought out rather than doing a half-assed display in a shipping container on the site with crap renders and a cheap filling brochure. So it's again it's just coming back to to tailoring our approach and our strategy for every single project that we're working on and constantly being um fluid and proactive throughout the campaign so we would never just say look this is what we're going to do (laughs) and then sort of never check in or never revise we would we would look at what we're doing weekly and see what's working what's not working what can we do differently um to maximize our results for our clients
1: got any examples of stuff that hasn't worked you've pivoted and gone yeah let's move away from that or that obviously just didn't work
0: I don't know. Probably, um, we've definitely experienced things that haven't worked. But typically, that's been uh, more so when the client hasn't taken our advice or has implemented a version of what we have put forward, you know, and then come back to us and go, "Well, it's not saying selling," and we have to explain to them we actually suggested that we do this, and you've only done ten percent of what we suggested. You know um, yeah I don't think I've ever ever worked on a project where we've suggested something and it hasn't hasn't paid off mm. it probably sounds a bit ridiculous but <laughs>
1: but that's the truth yeah actually I've, I' I think I interrupted you before in terms of what kind of percentage increase you've seen in terms of inquiry levels from last year to this year
0: uh definitely there's been there's been an increase in inquiry it, it wasn't like we stopped getting inquiries um, just the the quality of the inquiry has got a lot better this year rather than last so there's always people out there who were interested in property and interested in what the market is doing and interested in the next new thing that's coming out and will put through their inquiries and they're just gathering information. Um, So we saw a lot more of that last year um, and a lot more people that, you know, were we're trying to get a deal, and rightly so, Um, whereas this year we're seeing a a lot more qualified buyers who... Um, you know are realistic in in regards to their expectations of, of what's feasible
1: Oh that's good yeah saves you a bit of time yes So if I came to you and said Campbell I want to take my developing business to the next level from a marketing and sales perspective what, what, what do you advise me to do ah uh,
0: It depends. Depends what, uh, as in just your business and your brand, or the type of product that you're developing, or what. Mm -hmm. What? What do you want to take to the next level? Yeah, good question. (laughs) So, so I think for for us, that's an example of I don't know one of one thing that I think you just need to do all the time is always ask why and find out people's motivations for anything. and, you know, even if you have an idea of what somebody, um, you know, what their end result should be, I think it's better to get them to spell out the process um, because it may be something completely different to you know, to what I had in mind. Um, like when you asked me that question, I was thinking just brand. Both, let's say both. Yeah. I
1: want to improve my brand and improve my product.
0: Um, so we would probably put you in touch with, um, you know, a a graphic marketer um, to look at your brand and look at how you could improve that. Um, so whether that be you know redesigning, um, you know, all of your collateral, so website, um, you know, business cards, all of that type of hard copy collateral and and online presence. Um, you would really need to sort of have an idea or form an idea of what you're wanting to project. So whether you're wanting to rebrand yourself into, you know, an environmentally sustainable developer. Um, So we'd look at ways that you could do that, Um, you know, put you in touch with a PR agency um, to see what they could value add in terms of getting that message across that now you're doing environmentally sustainable projects. Um, and then in terms of your actual developments, um, you know, get you, again, connect you with an architect who's renowned for doing environmentally sustainable projects, get you in touch with an ESD consultant, and um, who can assist with improving the environmental attributes of your projects. So it would really just be about connecting you with the right people um, and just establishing those relationships so that when we did have um, you know, a product to sell, all of that is sort of in place and working in the background um, while, while we're in the foreground actually trying to sell the product.
1: It's good. I like it. Good. I'll like ask you for who those uh, people are yeah. after the after the interview. But a very long
0: address book. <laughs> I'm worried that my
1: iCloud storage is going to give way soon with the amount of contacts I have in my phone. Storage is cheap these days, Campbell. Ooh. What are you seeing any emerging issue? Or not issue. Emerging requests or trends from buyers. You mentioned environmental, environmentally environmentally sustainable building. Yeah, is that a,
0: That's is definitely that something that's coming through? Definitely is. Um, that's very much prevalent in particular areas in Melbourne. Um, so I launched last year a townhouse project in Brunswick um, where I had 58 townhouses there to sell. Um, I've only got two left now. And that sold really well um one of the reasons that sold really well is because it had a seven star energy rating across the board and for the clients looking in brunswick that was something that was really important to them Um, dare i say if i launched the that project in south Yarra, the seven star energy rating may not carry as much weight with the demographic purchasing in that area Is Brunswick part of the lentil belt
1: over there on the north side of Melbourne?
0: I had one client refer to it as the People's Republic as Brunswick, (laughs) um, who actually secured in that development. Um, You know, whereas we had a very successful project um, launched this year, and that we've more or less sold out now in Fitzroy, and that was heavily design focused. So the fixtures and finishes in that were absolutely stunning. Um, it was a boutique development. All of the floor plans were oversized, so our two bedrooms averaged 130 square metres. So that felt like a very premium design-focused product um, that had a bit of a like a very cool point of difference. It wasn't um, the, I don't know, ostentatious sort of over-the-top you know, white, shiny marble everywhere. It was um, quality materials, very pared back, um, and real understated quality and luxury, which resonated, again, with the client that
1: was purchasing that type of product in that area. And I imagine as a a selling agent, that also gets you excited and fired up when you've got a product like that that you can bring to market. Absolutely, yeah, because I mean, as I mentioned before, I've got a huge
0: appreciation for what architects and interior designers do, um, definitely given my background and it allows me, I think, I think, you know, I can try and do my best sales pitch ever, but if I don't believe in what I'm selling or if I'm not truly excited about the product that I have, people will know I'm not that good of an actor. It definitely comes across. So it's fantastic that we can essentially pick and choose the the projects that we represent um, at 360 and we're not just having sort of to take on any project that's offered to us to keep the lights on, you know. Um, So another one that we were really excited to represent this year was um, St Moritz and St Kilda. So that was um, probably one of the first display suites I've ever walked into, and has made me immediately want to buy. So, and that was all just through, sort of, that emotion was brought through from the design of the the display suite and the fixtures and finishes and the
1: overall presentation which we curated. I think is that a, that's a Gurner project, isn't it, yes. down there? Are they tearing that building down? It's down. Oh, is it? Yeah, the Novotel. Yeah. Oh, they've pulled it down. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that'll be exciting to watch that one go up. Mm. All right, Campbell, if you go back in time and talk to a a younger Campbell, when would it be and what would you say to him?
0: Now, that's, that's a good question. Um... I know the only thing that really comes to mind, um, would be, and I don't know if I've got a particular age range on this, because I probably still need to remind myself to this day, um, that just need to remind myself that not everything has to be perfect all the time. So I'm a very details-oriented person, a little bit of a control freak at times, um, very much a perfectionist, because I like everything to be perfect in a particular way. But life, unfortunately, is not like that. Um, So just to keep stress levels down, and I think it's good, good to remind yourself that not everything has to be perfect to get the same result, and just sort of to roll with the punches a little bit more.
1: And what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given
0: Probably, probably to 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 schedule time for yourself the same way you would schedule a work appointment. So, given the nature of what we do, and again with projects, we're probably working a lot longer hours than traditional real estate agents. Um, so typically work I'm working seven days a week. Um, so to schedule in time, like this year, my one of I made a resolution to in to invest time and money into my health and fitness. So I started doing F45 five days a week and I just scheduled it in like it was a work appointment and it was a non-negotiable. And um, that's really improved my energy levels, quality of life, um, whereas last year loved love to work out but i just never found the time always prioritized work over things for myself and you know burnout is a very real thing in, in what we do so just making sure that you are looking after yourself um it's definitely paid off keeping it's like your butts yeah. are about to pop off your shirt <laughs> Um, just keeping, keeping your body, you know, the machine very well oiled and making sure you're getting enough sleep and you're eating right and, and all of that, uh, yeah, means that you're going to have a lot more longevity, I think, in this type of job. And what's the absolute worst thing someone could
1: get you to do for an hour?
0: Um, pretty much anything where I'd have to be confined to my desk. So <laughs> um, any type of sort of reporting or anything where I would have to sit down at my desk for, you know, more than more than 30 minutes, I'm not good with. I'd much rather be on the phone talking to somebody, walking around the office or meeting with somebody in a display suite or having coffee with a developer or anything like that. I'm definitely not uh, not an office nine to five type of person. That would drive me a bit insane, I think.
1: We're curious to hear about some of your tips, speaking of being on the phone, around dealing with objections. hmm What are you got sort of two or three ways that you overcome objections with people on the phone or rejection?
0: Um, well, I think with
1: rejection, that's, you
0: know, it's inevitable. That's always... There's always going to be, you know, some percentage of, of people who just don't, want to speak with you and you just need to realise that's fine and sort of water off a duck's back move on, someone else will want to speak to you Um, in terms of overcoming objections um, you know there's a whole variety of different methods um, to do that depending on on what the objection is Um, you know sometimes it's with, with people who've got a lot of objections, sometimes it's just a matter of of sort of just parking the conversation where it is and saying, you know, look, I think it's it, yeah. it seems as though you've got a lot of a lot of questions, and you know, I'm here to help you, and I'd love to be able to explain everything in detail. You know, would you have time for us to catch up for a ten minute coffee? I'm happy to come to you in your office because it sounds like you're really time poor i think we'll achieve a lot more you know face to face rather than over the phone or just just trying to work around whatever it is um you know just to get to build more of that rapport and um and that relationship because at the end of the day we particularly with off the plan um it's all about trust so you know as a salesperson you need to have incredible product knowledge because you're selling something that's not tangible um
1: you know yeah, but that's something that always surprises me even about agents that are selling existing stock how little mm-hmm. they actually know about this but million dollar exact
0: product but with um with traditional real estate you know you can get away with that because it's the the client's able to walk into the property and and form that emotional bond, um, you know, which you can't necessarily do with off the plan. Yes, a lot of the time we've got fantastic display suites, um, but, you know, I've sold multi-million dollar townhouses um, off a piece of paper with a floor plan and that's it. And it, it was getting that deal across the line was reliant on um, the client trusting me implicitly that it would be, the property would be when it was built exactly how I articulated it to them and I described them and that sort of emotional, um, emotional feeling story that I have to cultivate through words
1: for them because they can't actually touch or feel or see anything. Yeah, that's the big challenge, isn't it? You're selling a dream, really, Mm. when you're selling off the plan. If you could sit down for lunch with any person, alive or dead, who would it be and why? Uh,
0: The first person that comes to mind um, would probably be Anna Wintour. So the um, editor of of Vogue magazine. Um, She has obviously been incredibly successful in her career um and you know has developed a bit of a reputation for being um you know a bit uh cut and dry a bit icy but seems to to be able to still have a bit of a sense of humor about what she does um not only in her professional world but also um philanthropically as well with a lot of charity work. And I just think she'd be incredibly interesting to sit down and, and have a chat with. Doesn't she come to the tennis every year? She does. I, um, Maybe you need to get on the Twitters. And... Well, last year, last year when the Australian Open was open, uh, on, I saw her walking through. She was obviously staying at Crown Towers when I was going out for lunch one day. Um, but yeah, I didn't dare approach. <laughs>
1: might have had an icicle ready. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Campbell, is there anything else you'd like to share or ask of uh, the listeners of the show before we wrap up? No, no. Thank you so much for
0: having me on. Um, look, if anyone is interested in, in you know, following along with my sort of day-to-day life in property, um, you can find me on Instagram at Campbell Royston, C A M P B E L L R O Y S T O N. Um, I feel like that's a fantastic way to to share, you know, what's coming up um, in terms of property, what's going on at the moment, and it's a great way to keep contact with my purchasers as well. Um, so yeah, so definitely uh, check me out on Instagram.
1: Yeah, so I'm actually, you're, now you've quickly touched on keeping in touch with. Buyers Mm -hmm. is that that's something you obviously do post sale and through construction and keeping in touch.
0: Yeah, because again, it's just all about that relationship. So, you know, I've got clients that I've sold to and they've you know become friends through that process. So, it's when you when you're selling something off the plan. You're essentially, uh, the way I see it, is that as the sales agent, you're making a commitment to that purchaser that you're going to see them throughout the whole process. And I always say to my clients, when this is built, I will be in that property with you doing the pre-settlement inspection and you'll have a smile on your face because it will be exactly how I've described here. And thus far with you know, the hundreds and hundreds of pre-settlements I've done, I've more or less always had positive experiences with my clients And why do you think that is? Uh, I think it's just because I, I represent the property as it will be, so I'm always very truthful, I'm always very upfront, um, and will always explain to the nth degree exactly what they should expect um, When the property is built, Um, so there's no surprises come settlement. They're not walking into a property and there's a huge column in the middle of the room, which, you know, I didn't tell them about. Um, Because at the end of the day, like, I still want to be doing this for, you know, a few more years. I'm not quite ready to retire yet. Um, So I've got to protect my reputation as well. Um, and I think the only way that you can do that is by being extremely transparent and truthful, you know, in all of the, your dealings.
1: Because what are the kind of things that can get, can get buyers or agents tripped up when they're selling off the plan? I
0: don't um, know whether
1: they're necessarily misrepresenting something or what are the kind of things that can come back to bite people?
0: Uh, look, something I've, I've seen with other agencies, you know, they may not... Um, they may not blatantly explain, you know, if a balcony is gonna have 1.7 metre high privacy screening or whatever it may be and they're relying on the purchaser to read the architectural elevations which are in the contract. Um, you know, whereas for me, I think that's very important to explain what it will look like, point it out, um, explain what the materiality will, it will be and how it will impact, you know, on the property. Um and then also try and work with the, taking a step before that, try and work with the developer or the architect prior um, to that to get the most attractive outcome that will still meet planning regulations. Um, I'm just settling at the moment a project in Hampton that I sold a couple of years ago, and that's something that we did the um, privacy screening, because it's in a residential street, was 18 apartments, the privacy screening on level one and two, um, they needed 1.7 meter high privacy screening on balconies, which is fine, but what the architect had, um, had specified was frosted glass, just all the way around, so it would almost be like a little frosted glass box. Mm. And we have found that once it's built, a perforated metal or a slatted screen is a lot more attractive um, and something that provides a view through and is not just an opaque glass is a lot better design outcome so we were able to get it re-specified before we brought that project to market and done the pre-settlements there and have had no
1: no issues because everyone knew exactly what it was going to be. So there's a bit, of a bit of a holding of the breath when you do your pre-settlements?
0: Um, really no because again it's just I've I've been very forthcoming to begin with so if something's going to you know take my breath away it's generally because it's it's wrong you know <laughs> so which you know have had happen where um you know the if we did a particular customization or an upgrade and it wasn't done by the builders quite right um you know that's what the pre-settlement inspection is there for so that we can get that addressed and rectified prior to settling so it is exactly how you wanted it to be you know when you're getting the keys and you're moving in no
1: surprises hopefully yes (laughs) all right campbell it's been so awesome sitting down talking to you about selling and project marketing it's been really awesome Um, If people want to find out more about 360 Property Group, what's the company's website? Yeah, so just 360propertygroup.com.au.
0: Also, 360's got a great Instagram as well. So that's just at 360propertygroup and myself at Campbell
1: Royston. Awesome. Well, thanks again for talking with us. Really grateful to you and happy selling. Great. Thanks, Justin. See you later. Bye. Okay, there you go. Another great conversation about how to sell property off the plan. I hope you enjoyed it. I always like talking about selling property as there's no silver bullet to successfully marketing your project and it takes a combination of elements all working together to get a great result. So here are the things I took out of my conversation with Campbell. One, ask what the purpose is behind your intention. Understanding why you're doing something provides greater clarity to your intention. For example... Why do you want to get bigger? What is it you want to change about your business? Is it the quality or style of your projects? Is it your brand? But why? Why are you wanting to change? If you understand that reason, you can more clearly go after results. Two, understand who your buyers are. Segmenting to succeed, that was a message I again got from speaking with Campbell. Have you given deep consideration to who you are selling to? Do you understand their needs, desires, wants? What information and journey will they go on before making a buying decision? If you're ready to take buyers along that path, then you set yourself up for the best opportunity to convert inquiry to sales. 3. Tailor a marketing campaign for each project. As Campbell mentioned, they tailor a specific campaign for each project. There's no spray and pray approach where you just tick boxes and hope you get leads. I like to work closely with the selling agent on the marketing of my projects to ensure we are targeting the right group of people with the right message through the best channels. Just spending money on a shopping list of collateral and tactics is not the wisest approach. All right, if you enjoyed that chat with Campbell, I suggest you go back to the chat I had with Campbell's colleague and director, John Ma, in episode 60, where we discussed approaches to a marketing strategy, the idea of being parachuted into an area without any digital backup, and seeing how you would make some sales, and his thoughts on why you should segment your audience, including this insight. Segmenting to succeed, so cutting up different
0: parts of a project to sell it and targeting different market segments. So, you know, if you have a project of 100 units, it doesn't mean it's the same buyer and the same demographic that's going to buy 100. So quite often you'll have different strategies for for different projects.
1: There's a lot of great stuff in that chat, so be sure to take a listen. Remember to contact me if you are interested in learning how to develop property safely and profitably. Email justin at propertydeveloperpodcast.com for some info. Don't forget to catch me on Insta and Facebook for all my latest project picks and videos, industry news, and other fun tidbits. You can also post a comment on iTunes if you're enjoying the show. And of course, all the past episodes of the show can be found at www.propertydeveloperpodcast.com. So until next time, may your next campaign be targeted and successful.
0: You've been listening to the Property Developer Podcast. Tune in next time for more tips, ideas, and inspiration to take your developing to the next
1: level. For more developing love, make sure to visit propertydeveloperpodcast.com.